Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 72 of the show. Before we dive in today, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor who is helping to make the show possible. Today's show is made possible by Paper Culture. Through contemporary design and personalized products, Paper Culture is working to solve the climate crisis one card at a time. Paper Culture provides customers with quality stationary products while keeping the environment in mind. Everything at Paper Culture is printed on eco-friendly materials like 100% post-consumer recycled paper, and the brand is carbon neutral by practicing carbon offsetting efforts. Not only that, but Paper Culture plants a tree for every single order they receive. At Paper Culture, they design for a world of trees because they fear for a world without them. Use the link in the show notes to shop Paper Culture today. All right, friends, so today I'm super jazzed that you're here, and I'm super jazzed to welcome a couple on the show. Their names are Pi and Christina, and I love having couples on the show. It's not something I get to do super often, but it's double the fun. Christina and Pi have been married for four years and have been navigating what an intercultural and interracial relationship looks like, all while living in East Tennessee, where there's not too many couples who look like them. Because of some of the struggles that they faced early on in their relationship, they decided to start a podcast for others who might be struggling with the same things. And that's how I found them. I wanted to get them on the show to talk about all kinds of things, what it's like dating someone from a completely different culture than your own, how that has influenced their marriage and their parenting, and how it's been lately living in such a time as this as an interracial couple. We had such a great time chatting, and there were so many times I said, this is just good relationship advice for anyone, not just intercultural couples. Whether you're dating or married right now or not, you're going to walk away with tons of good advice on having healthy relationships, good communication with others, and appreciating people who are different than you. We all could use a little of that right now. Next week in part two, Christina and Pi and I are going to talk more about racial justice, but for now, we get to hear a lot of their marriage story and what they've learned along the way. Like I said, I had so much fun chatting with them and learned a ton. I know you will too. And as you listen, don't forget about leaving a rating and review for the show. Reviews are always so nice to receive. I want to acknowledge someone who took the time to write one. This review is from Stephanie. It says, this podcast is nothing short of amazing. Seriously, every episode I've listened to, I've walked away learning something new or changing something in my life to make it better. They are super easy to listen to. I'm a teacher and love to keep learning new things. If you do too, this is the right podcast for you. Seriously, if you haven't given it a listen yet, you are missing out. Thank you so much, Stephanie. That's so nice to read. And I'm with you on being a lifelong learner. But it's not just about the words of affirmation. While I totally appreciate those, reviews also help people to find the show and lets your podcast player know that people like what I'm doing. So please help out by leaving a review and also by telling your friends about the show. Share the good news. And let me give you this piece of advice. You also want to make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you know when we're back with part two of my conversation with Christina and Pi. You're going to love this couple and also their precious baby boy, who we get to hear a little bit from on this episode, so enjoy that. All right, friends, here is my conversation with Christina and Pi. Okay. Hey, Christina and Pi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're excited to be here, Mackenzie. Hey, Mackenzie. We're excited to hang out with you today. Yeah, me too. Can you just start with introducing yourself for everybody who's listening? Sure. My name's Christina. I am a white woman living in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's laughing at me because my our last name is Mushaya Munda and I'm a teacher. So 
usually when I walk in the room, the students are like, what? It's a short <laughs> white girl walking into the room. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, my name's Mrs. Mushaya Munda. And I know you weren't expecting this, but this is what you get. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, my na- my full name is Padiwa Nashe. And as you all know, everybody calls me Pai for short. Uh-huh. And I am a black uh, Zimbabwean. I moved to the States with my family when I was 10 years old. I've lived in the U.S. for 20 years now. So mm-hmm. um, in, in many ways, I'm more American than I am African, but yeah. I still feel African in, in many other ways. And uh, yeah, uh, live in East Tennessee. You just enjoy being a husband and a dad to a five-month-old. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and Christina, you said you're a teacher? Yes. So I'm an English teacher by day amateur baker and mom by night. Um, And then we also host a podcast for um, intercultural relationships. We call it the Culture Talk Collective. So that's what we do together for fun. Yeah. And for myself, my my day job, I I like to do many different things, but I am in customer service for security uh, company. Okay. So I get to to really engage with, with lots of awesome team members and customers all over the state working for this awesome company and by night once again we're podcasters we yeah. enjoy the culture talk collective we enjoy the community that we've created and, and just going through the tough questions and and the journey of not only being in an intercultural relationship but for us we're also an interracial relationship so there's many different complexities now my other nighttime job is lawn care so oh. i i love mowing the lawn i love making my grass look greener so um, that's a big big hobby for my for me wow that's nice christina you're lucky that's <laughs> i don't know many people who like to take care of their lawn so you're very lucky <laughs> well i feel like i created a monster and this could very easily turn into a lawn care podcast if you let pi take the reins Okay, but, I won't ask any follow-up questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. all I said was I want our lawn to be lush and green, and now segued it segued into this intense tunnel vision hobby, which I, <laughs> I get to enjoy our nice green grass. So yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's like the people who say they love cleaning or like it. They find cleaning relaxing. I'm like. I wish I felt that way and my house was just super clean all the time, but I feel quite the opposite about cleaning. Agreed. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I obviously want to talk to you about your podcast and everything, but before we jump into that, why don't you just tell us about how you met? Since we're going to be talking about kind of your marriage story today, did you both grow Well, I mean, I know, Pi, you didn't move to the States till you were 10, but did you both grow up in Eastern Tennessee or... How did you meet? Yeah, so I I grew up in East Tennessee, but then I moved a couple hours even further east to go to college, and Pi and I went to the same college, so that's how we met. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really think anything about him except for the fact that he had a nice smile and a very long <laughs> and a very long laugh because he was a couple years older than me, and I was enjoying my college career, not really thinking about older men at that point. Really? Older men? (laughs) So, yeah. Rob the cradle. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So, anyway, I went to, I started going to his church, and I was part of the college ministry there, and they threw this anti-Valentine's Day party. So, it was just celebrating friendship, celebrating not, you know, was not about love or anything like that. 
So they had messy food, stinky food, watched, I think, Lord of the Rings or some war movie or something like that. And Pi comes in and I was like, you know what? He's kind of cute. I want to get to know him and talk to him a little bit more. <laughs> and so they now refer to it as a, a Mushayamunda moment because we hit it off at the, that party and then got married two years later. So wow. they, it took them a while to do another uh, anti-Valentine's Day party. <laughs> Didn't go the way they planned. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love Christina's side of the story because she noticed me at the anti-Valentine's Day party, mm-hmm. but I noticed her even way before that. Mm-hmm. The other side of the story is that we, we all joke that we actually, we met in person, but interacted a lot more in uh, through social media, through mm-hmm. Twitter. So Christina would always tweet all these funny things. And I would always favorite them. And it came to the point where Christina would literally craft tweets <laughs> and anticipate me favoriting them. And I had no idea she was doing that. I just thought it was just funny. Um, so I think it was one of those moments where I, I, I saw her in different, uh, I saw her at church, saw her around the community. I, I, saw, I always thought this girl's cute. You saw me twist my ankle and almost fall. When I, I was did see that. I was marathon. driving and I saw her jogging, and she literally like twisted her foot on the sidewalk. <laughs> I almost <laughs> fell into the road. And I was like, ooh, but I was still attracted to you. Um, so you know, we we love our love story. We like to say that we didn't necessarily fall in love, but we we walked together and journeyed in love. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was a, it, it wasn't just a one moment. It was moments of choosing each other. And I think that's why we can look back and just laugh at each other. Mm-hmm. But also we had some really difficult moments right, in our relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, our dating it was pretty difficult because I don't know about you, Mackenzie, but whenever you're, you know, Christina was about to graduate college. I was... I had graduated college and I was taking a year off just before I went to grad school. So it's kind of awkward because you're like, I'm not really a college student anymore. I'm kind of an adult. I guess Mm -hmm. we should kind of date with intention of marriage. (laughs) So there was a lot of stress to go with that. But thankfully, she she put her helmet on and we're still here. Oh, that's very cool. So how long now have you been married? Um, Four years? Yes, Yes. four years, babe. (laughs) (laughs) It's late. I'm tired. No, it's been, yeah, four years. This will be our fifth year. Yep. So we got married in December of 2016. Okay. I think because it's in December, it's hard to remember because that's like right before the new year. So I'm always like, okay, wait, what year was it? (laughs) Totally. And I mean that in a great way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, happy uh, late anniversary just a couple months ago then. So... That's great. And now you have a son and maybe more on the way soon. Who knows? <laughs> and you also have your other baby of your podcast together. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to start doing a podcast, because obviously it's not something that everybody does. Yeah. So we, when we were dating and when we were engaged, we really wanted a mentor. We wanted a couple that was an interracial couple just to look up to, because we had lots of questions. We had lots of late night talks, lots of struggles. I remember when we got married, there was one afternoon where I was just so sad because I was taking, you know, I was taking Pi's last name. I was changing my last name. And part of me was really, I was grieving the loss of that identity of 
you know, what my maiden, me is, you know, Christina Williamson. And that was really hard. And I, I felt like that was a big moment in preparing for marriage because I was like, you know, I'm, I'm taking on your last name and people are going to have, you know, misconceptions based off the, the last name. They might, you know, if I apply for a job, what's it going to look like? And that was something we actually talked about. And I said, you know what, like your name is a badge of honor and I want like, I'm honored to take your last name, even though it's hard and I'm grieving, you know, that season of being a Williamson. I'm really honored to get to mm-hmm. become a Mushaya Munda. And mm-hmm. I think that there's, you know, that's not even necessarily an intercultural or interracial struggle. That's just, you know, an identity that we all have to choose to walk in, whether you choose to take your spouse's last name or you keep your own last name. That intertwining of becoming interdependent in a marriage is something that's so important. And for us being in an intercultural and interracial relationship, there were extra layers of that. And Mm -hmm. so we just really desired for someone to ask questions and even speak into our lives, but we didn't have that because, you know, we're in a pretty uh, non-diverse area. Um, There is diversity, but you have to look for it. And thankfully we were, when we got engaged, we did find a couple who was an interracial couple and you know, they kind of took us under their, their wings for the first couple of years of our marriage, but we just really desired to be that for other people. And so mm-hmm. to help alleviate that isolation and loneliness that it may feel to be in an interracial relationship or an intercultural relationship. Yeah. So as you know, I grew up in Zimbabwe my family and I moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Okay. In 2002, actually. So that it was around this time in 2002. And as you know, that's a culture shock in itself. I mean, moving from a different country, a mm-hmm. different culture. You know, thankfully, Zimbabwe's official language is English. Oh, yeah. However, I grew up speaking more British slash Zimbabwean style English. Oh, and yeah. I've just been able to assimilate really well. So I'm really great at code switching. So. Uh-huh. You know, you can hear me speaking right now, but when I'm with my family, my accent just completely changes to, like, I'm back home. Yeah. So we moved to uh, the North Carolina area, and we went, we lived in a predominantly Black American neighborhood, and I went to a predominantly Black American school. Mm -hmm. So it was a time of trying to figure out where I fit in. Mm -hmm. Ever since I've moved to the U.S., I've always tried to figure out where do I fit in. I was a black kid, but I did not sound like your typical black American. Mm-hmm. I did not know the culture because mm-hmm. that's a different culture, black American culture. I looked like a black American, but my name was different, right? So even from the moment where school would start in August, the beginning of the year, teachers would call out names. You know, my name would be the longest pause and I'll raise my hand and have to teach the teacher how to pronounce my name. Mm-hmm. So some point I remember it being a point of shame like mm-hmm. what my name meant I remember asking my parents why did you guys call me this long name why did not I just have an English name mm-hmm. because it was just tough I mean as any kid everybody has an experience right mm-hmm. growing up just having tough transitioning then I began to assimilate I began to get used to the culture and I began to feel like hey I think I've got this I think I've got this fitting into the culture thing um, on um, the interesting thing though is Monday through Friday going to a you know predominantly black American school have most black friends and then the weekend 
we actually went to church on the other side of town, about 30 minutes away, a white church. Mm. And we went to that church because we had my aunt and uncle went to that church and we had family friends that went there. So when we first moved here, that's the church we went to. So it was interesting because Monday through Friday, I felt like one person. But then on weekends, I felt like another person at the white church because I had white friends. And I even remember some of my white friends saying, well, you know, you don't sound black, you, you know, you, you, you're an Oreo. And I just, and I would always be bothered by that, but I never say anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm just like, how do I even process what people are saying? They're saying that I'm just like them. I just don't look like them. Mm-hmm. So in high school, my junior year, we, my family and I moved to a small town in East Tennessee. So we moved from Africa to North Carolina, culture shock. And then from North Carolina to Tennessee, another big culture shock. I mean, Tennessee is like an entire country of own, so I'll <laughs> tell people. So now my school culture is reversed. I'm one of few black people in a white school. Uh, uh-huh. so that was weird because now I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. And most of my adolescent years, I was trying to fit in, but now I'm sticking out. As far as my identity goes, that was also another difficult period because I'm trying to discover. So am I going to be Pi the African kid at this new school or am I going to be Pi the black kid? Mm-hmm. But thankfully I had a group of four guys that just, I mean, they were just phenomenal. I became friends with and I truly felt like myself among them. One of them was a, he was half Asian, half uh, white American. So I think I kind of, we kind of understood each other, the complexities of having the duality of cultures. Mm-hmm. Years later, I'm still in the area. I went to college here and um, obviously meet my wife. But as I continue to become older, I realize that no matter how old you are, you're still going to have issues with identity. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the Culture Talk Collective birthed from was as we began this dating relationship, we were like, hey, we don't have it all together. We're trying to figure out how to honor one another's cultures one another's identities uh, because that's a big part of who we are and we want to make sure that we have a community that can foster that um, so culture talk wasn't a podcast that says hey we have everything figured out listen to us we have all the answers yeah culture talk is, hey this is what we're going through um this is what we we have thought about this is what we are scared about and this is how we've processed and then we're also bringing people on mm-hmm. that have the life experience or maybe that they've have they've gone through specific scenarios that we haven't gone through so mm-hmm. we we love the culture talk collective because we live in a very postmodern world mm-hmm. i mean we have friends from around the world that are listening but also are in an in intercultural relationships because that's something that is going to continue i mean my son is an african-american i mean we're joking with christina that he's literally I don't know how many, uh, as far as his DNA goes, he's got so <laughs> much background. I mean, he's got Africa, he's got mm-hmm. Europe, but that's something that we can celebrate together and mm-hmm. that we can point towards. However, it's so important as well to journey and to, to make sure that we are working, especially for my end as a minority. I think the biggest yep. fears that we talk about is like, okay, as an African immigrant, how do I preserve my culture and a majority culture because Mm -hmm. the reality is my son 
or potentially even my son's son, they can just completely eradicate their African background if mm-hmm. they wanted to, if they weren't intentional. Well, if we were intentional as parents mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and passing that down. So that's kind of my personal mission is I want to make sure that my son has his African culture on his right hand and his American, white American culture on his left hand and celebrate it with pride. Yeah, that's really cool. And I have so many questions for you about what that's like being parents now. And I'm sure that's even more topics for you guys to talk about on your podcast is intercultural parenting even. But um, I want to go back a little bit and just ask about kind of what you mentioned that you faced some hardships in your dating years and I'm guessing with your engagement too. And so can you tell us like what some of the big obstacles were that came up at the beginning? Like, I mean, I'm curious about if like what your parents thought of things for both of you guys and just, yeah, what those early years were like for you. Yeah. One of the things that we're grateful for is both of our parents have always been supportive. My parents were, or are actually, or were, I guess you can say were, in an intercultural relationship. My mm-hmm. dad is from Zimbabwe. My mom is half Zambian, half, half Zimbabwean. So she yeah. actually was born in Zambia, which is a country right on top of Zimbabwe geographically. Um, so she mm-hmm. moved with her parents when she was 18. So she had to learn the language, she had to learn the culture, and essentially just reestablish herself in a new country as a teenager. Yeah. They had difficulties of their own as far as their engagement. Uh, my mom has stories of trying to please my my dad's family, uh, moving and going to a village, and all these women in the village are saying, why is he marrying a woman for another culture another place there's so many other women in this country in this in this village Mm -hmm. why did you choose her so i don't believe that the complexities of intercultural relationship is only within one ethnicity that's just not true because uh, my parents are a case study of you can be from the same continent and have the same ethnicity but have different cultural practices that will conflict so because of that my parents i remember my dad specifically Probably when I was a teenager, I mean, my dad would just sit us down all the time and would have these conversations. And he said, hey, we are living here in America and it's normal if you guys married Americans or women that are of a different race. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, he they already fostered that that relationship to say, hey, it's okay. That's yeah. one thing we never had to to worry about. But that's that's our tribe, right? That's the comfort of home. And at Milligan, it was the same thing, It's which is a small school Milligan that we went to. College, yeah. yeah, the small college that we went to. And, you know, college oh, okay. is like a little bubble, right? You know, you're, yeah. you're teenagers. Everybody is pretty much accepting of who you are, uh, no matter where you're from. So if you're dating, I mean, it's, it's whatever. That bubble, though, uh, once it's popped, once you move or you go home for the holidays or whatever, you begin to realize that, hey, this is all a fantasy in some way. This is not real life. And real life for us was interacting outside of school, like mm-hmm. college. You know, simple things mm-hmm. like going out, me and her, for a run in a small white town. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure, Christina, you'd remember just the stairs would get, yeah, right? And I'm like sweating. And I'm like, I shouldn't be sweating just like 
<laughs> not because of running, by the way. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like nervous because I'm like, what are people, you know, is there some really prejudiced person going to say something? Because I have yeah. experienced that before. And I, in my head, I'm also wondering, does she, are we thinking the same thing? So that's one of the hardest things if you're in an intercultural, even interracial relationship is you're wondering about awareness. Does my partner have the same awareness I do concerning some of these things? But sometimes people are just naive and it's not their fault, you know? Yeah. But, you know, we had many of those nuances. Um, I remember I even mentioned to her not feeling comfortable going to certain places at night just because I didn't feel comfortable. And I think it was like the unveiling of the reality of being in an interracial, interracial relationship. And I don't know yeah. how... Is that tough for you as I continue to share with you, Christina? Yes, but not because it was like, well, it was tough because it was hard to hear that people are still backwards. And I lived in a bubble growing up as well. So I didn't even, I knew racism still existed, but I didn't experience it indirectly or directly until I was with you because I grew up in a primary, predominantly white area. And then when I went to college, that was the first time I really had friends who didn't look like me and who were um, people of color. And I was still naive and not intentional enough to understand the nuances of what it meant to be Black in America in the 20-teens at the time. So Mm -hmm. that was something that I really appreciated was, you know, Pi had a lot of grace with me because he was gracious enough to explain, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing this activity that you've planned because like, for instance, at Christmas time, I wanted to ding dong ditch people, but not <laughs> like ding dong ditch and run away. But I wanted to kind of do some method of, you know, Christmas caroling where we just would go ring the doorbell, drop baked goods on the floor and then run away because, you know, like that element of who did it. and But you're leaving something nice there. And now that I'm a mom, I'm like, please don't ring my doorbell ever. Yeah. <laughs> There's a baby napping in the back. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is just a really fun way to, like, treat our friends. But Pi said, hey, you know, if the neighbors see me running away from someone's house, they're going to get the wrong idea. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a really good point. Mm. So instead, we just still on the porch and sing Christmas carols with the Christmas treats in our hands. So it was, it was really eye opening to me for him to explain a lot of this to me. And I really appreciate that he took the time to explain it in love and not be annoyed and say like, you should know this already. Because I think Pi understood that I I just came from a very sheltered area and Mm -hmm. it's not, it wasn't his, like he didn't have to do that. He could have been like, okay, here's some books you need to read. Here's some things you should research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, go enlighten yourself and then come back and talk to me when, whenever you, you're mm-hmm. enlightened. Well, the thing is, though, I didn't have to do that because you already were intentional enough to be learning about mm-hmm. race in America without right. me initiating. Yeah. So that showed interest already. It wasn't like... Hey, Pi is going to be my source of information because that's unrealistic and that's unfair for me to do that. But you also mm-hmm. took the time to read and to inform yourself of the complexities of mm-hmm. the culture and the time that we're in. Yeah. And I think that's important. I don't think it's fair for, for anyone to feel like they have to represent a race or represent a group of people. Right. Because it's right. it's not 
I mean, my my views are going to be different from another. I mean, I'm a black immigrant. I mean, I want I'm going to be a, a citizen in a couple of years, so I'll, I'll be an African American. However, my views might be mm-hmm. different from a black American who who's was born here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's the beauty of of America, right? We're a melting pot. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important thing is the empathy and the understanding to want to learn, and that's what drew me to you because I had had bad experiences, you know, prior to Christina, um, I had dated someone and, and essentially long story short, their family and they decided that they valued their family values <laughs> for race instead of, instead of fighting for what's right. It, it was too hard. Yeah. So I, I went through a lot of that and a lot of trying to prove to people that I'm something well, not something that I'm not what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I'll share this, like trying to prove to people like, hey, I'm not what you see on. I do wear a belt. I mean, just the think of all the worst stereotypes of <laughs> black people. You didn't grow up in a hut in Africa. Yeah. Not just the, not, no, not just the African side. This is the, the yeah. negative stereotypes of black Americans. Okay. Because what people see is the negative stereotypes. And I, I think as a young person, you're just trying to fight those stereotypes uh-huh. and like defeat the system. And then I realized, wait a second, this is really unhealthy and this is exhausting. Yeah. And I remember even having a personal like talk with God and like, God, I'm not dating a white girl from the country anymore. I'm done. <laughs> and then I showed up. <laughs> yeah. And then you and I think that's that's God's way of, of redemption and grace of saying, Hey, give love a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wasn't looking for a white person, honestly. I was just like, this interracial thing is too hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, came along and you appreciated me and you listened. And before you know it, I was like, oh, crap, I'm doing this again. Um, <laughs> but that's what happens when you're in love, right? You're willing to fight. You're willing to stay in it uh, right. because it's worth it. That's well, that's really cool to hear kind of like both your sides on that. And I think as someone who's white, it's encouraging for me. I mean, just the times that we're in right now, like, I know for me, I'm always afraid of like saying the wrong thing or something or like not knowing exactly what's the appropriate thing to say. And so for you probably to talk about like, well, she had a willingness to learn and like that, that's kind of all I needed to work with. And it reminds me of something actually one of my professors said in college, this is, I've probably quoted this like 10 times on the podcast before, but a black professor of mine who grew up like in the Jim Crow era of segregation in the US. And someone was like, how do you keep going? Like, cause he's in his seventies now. And someone was like, how do you just keep dealing with, like, all this crap, like, kind of talking about racism in the U.S.? And he was like, as long as it's just ignorance, I can work with that. <laughs> and you mentioned that, too, yourself, that, like, a lot of people just don't know. And and while I would imagine that is extremely exhausting, but at the same time, like, we can work with that. Like, if education is what it takes, like, that's doable. So, I liked that you guys had that openness in your relationship from the get-go. And I think, you know, for me, when it comes to relationships, I think it's, we try not to create a methodology around it because because then we think that we have a formula for it, right? I mean, for centuries, mm-hmm. people have said, here's the solution to racism. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. but we still haven't figured it out because we're humans, right? And yeah, I think really the key ingredient is that Christina saw me for who I was. I mean, that's it. 
She saw the beauty of my name, my culture, every single part of me. And she was able to, she loved it and she was drawn to it. She wasn't drawn away from it. And me being around her made me feel more confident in myself Mm. because I mean, that's what being human is all about, right? Is you want to be with someone that makes you feel like you're seen, like you're heard. That's why you get married is, hey, my spouse, I felt accepted. I felt an unconditionally loved, agape love. And I think that that's really the foundation is if we're Mm. each other and to celebrate and our uniqueness. And that's one of the things we talk about in culture talk is like, we're here to celebrate intercultural relationships Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. without the celebration of our differences, then how are we going to sit and learn from one another, from Mm -hmm. learn about how we can improve our relationships with other people that are different than us. And I think that's really the core ingredient. It's just, Hey, let's celebrate our uniqueness instead of finding what divides us. Let's look at what unites us. Mm -hmm. So I love what your professor said, because that's true. Like ignorance, you can work with ignorance, right? And Mm -hmm. when you have love, unconditional love and seeing someone and then you have education, I think you have a really healthy relationship because you realize that, Mm -hmm. yes, I do have the comfort and the stability of love that no matter what happens, we can go through this. But also you have the humility to know that I still have a lot to learn and grow. Absolutely. Which is true in any marriage, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. Okay, so what about planning your wedding? What was that like for you guys? I mean, did you, I'm assuming you wanted to incorporate aspects of both your cultures. So what was that like? Well, for the control freak in me, it was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of letting go. No, it was really, really fun. I truly enjoyed our wedding. Like we both had so much fun at our wedding that we were in a, we had like the post-wedding blues. I think some people may have it, you know, for a week or two. We had it probably for a solid two months. (laughs) Like we, (laughs) will will we ever have a day as amazing as our wedding? And we, (laughs) it was also the most painful day of my life, but also the best day of my life when, you know, our son, that's the best day of the, that's the second best day of our lives after, outside of our wedding. Christina, I need you to tell the truth. What? Six months or even three months prior to the wedding, how did you feel? I'm working my way backwards. I am talking about the before I talk about the opportunities. So, you know, the, the wedding itself was really fun. Planning the wedding was stressful. And I think, uh-huh. you know, looking back now, four years later, and, you know, hopefully I've matured a little bit over the past four years. I'm like, okay, you were a little bit, you were holding on to a few things that you probably could have let go of and you were a little bit uptight about this. You could have unwind, unwound a little bit more in this area. But, you know, I, I had a vision in my head of what I wanted our wedding to look like, not realizing that when you're planning an intercultural wedding, my vision of what the intercultural wedding is not what the intercultural wedding will be because it requires both people's visions to come to fruition. Uh-huh. And so the thing that we was the hardest with our intercultural wedding was the guest list because um, we both come from very big families and we have good friends. And I was like, oh, let's just do a small wedding and we'll just do heavy hors d'oeuvres and dessert. And Pi was like, I'm sorry, what? 
we have people flying from the UK, flying from South Africa to come to this wedding. And you're just going to serve like a cheese tray and <laughs> like, we got to serve a whole meal. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's fine. So he gave that, I, I like gave into that. But then like in Zimbabwe, I found this out in Zimbabwe when there is a wedding, the weddings are huge. They're like 500 plus people, but that's mm. because everybody contributes, but people are invited that you don't even know. Like uh-huh. you could go to work and be like, Oh, my sister's cousin's aunt is having a wedding. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're definitely coming. But everybody, like, chips in. Everybody brings food. Everybody brings, you know. It's not on the bride and the groom or the bride's parents to pay for this wedding by themselves because it's just a big communal event. And what I love about our wedding is that it was a big communal event. And I think that I was expecting something more individualistic and more Americanized. And I'm so thankful that's not what we got Mm -hmm. because we did invite 500 people to our wedding Wow. I did have many emails about that. <laughs> 355 came. So, you know, 150 didn't come. I think actually 400 people came, but it worked out to where, you know, some people were just there for the ceremony and some people were just there for the reception. I'm actually looking at a picture on our wall right now of our wedding uh-huh. um, ceremony. And the entire venue is filled all the way to the back with people and there's standing room and like only in the back because it was so full. But also, you know, looking back now, like a lot of people love and respect my husband's family. And because a lot of those people had not met me or and had not met Pi or had not seen Pi since he was a wee little kid, mm-hmm. but they all came because they love Pi's family. So that was, you know, that was my, not my shining moment. That was my bridezilla moment. intercultural <laughs> wedding Cause I was like, no, this is what I want. And high family was like well this is what this is what we you know we desire and this is why and so thankfully you know now that I'm closer to 30 at that time I was closer to 20 now that I'm you know it's been a couple years I'm really thankful it turned out the way that it did because Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful wedding and we incorporated we incorporated for the rehearsal dinner we had it was Zimbabwean styled so we served Zimbabwean food we all wore Zimbabwean print dresses and outfits we did a, a ceremony, a, like the Zimbabwean traditional marriage ceremony. I do wish we could have done that, like done that in more detail, but time. We yeah, we didn't time. have enough time to do it the way that they would truly do it in Zimbabwe. Uh-huh. But your parents got outfits. Yeah, <laughs> explain the explain the that ceremony. Yeah, so. Christina, I like how you started with the positive because I was like, man, that was probably the most stressful <laughs> seven months of my of our (laughs) our relationship because you know i feel like i'm in the middle trying to pull my wife and her culture and trying to pull my family and their culture together i think that moment it felt like an out-of-body experience in a way Mm -hmm. because at that moment i was like i just want to please my wife but i'm glad that my family they were respectful but they were insistent on their values on our values because i look back and i'm like when people talk about our wedding they talk about how unique it was, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's used to an American wedding, you know, it's 30 minutes and you do a little dancing and do that, but like ours is different. And mm-hmm. it, it truly represented our marriage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. let's say that we did all that um, my parents wanted to do or all, you know, or even all that what Christine wanted to do. It would not have represented both of our identities. It would have been fair. So I'm really thankful because even though it was difficult, we found 
a place to compromise and compromise also is sacrifice. And I, and I'm thankful for Christina's, even though it was hard, that she did that because I look, and like, like I said before, I look back and I'm like, wow, this is, this is incredible because that's part of who I am in an American culture that doesn't know much about Zimbabwean culture. So like, this is something that we got to control. Imagine my, my parents, right? Having family from around, from Zimbabwe and around the world that are coming and they feel like they're at home, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. the environment that we created. So it was a really emotional moment for all of us, including myself and my parents. Mm, that's cool. But it was hard because you don't realize how selfish you are until you start saying, well, this is the way I grew up. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, and then you have this personalized idea of what your wedding should look like. In American culture, it's very individualized, right? It's very, it's her wedding. It's whatever she wants. <laughs> That's what you're taught as a woman. And then you marry an African guy who's very communal and it's yeah. our wedding, your marriage, our wedding, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Yeah. So Christina had to sacrifice some of those things and it uh-huh. was tough and it was tough for me as someone who loves her. So even though our wedding was great, I think on both ends, we both were, we both had to have that level of like empathy for each other to know that we need to sacrifice part of what we wanted to make sure that all of us felt like this was our wedding. Yeah. And that included like the the really neat thing about the rehearsal dinner was that we, it was very modified, but in our culture, I know people yeah, usually term it um, bride price or lobola or whatever, but we try not we try not to say bride price or lobola because I think the concept of like a bride price might seem transactional, and in our culture mm-hmm. it's very relational. So what we do is we have a, a ceremony, and my wife's parents and their in laws come, and my family and, and all my extended family come. And then the uncles are the ones that interact with each other. So the uncles, uh, Christina's uncle and my uncle, they're kind of like the the mediators. So my family side, my uncle said, hey, we want to gift the Williamson family. You know, it could be clothes. And if it's Zimbabwe, it's like animals. I mean, goats and, and all the awesome stuff and groceries. But in our context, we just did it with like, we bought my in-laws some clothes and some really like basically really nice outfits. My dad, I think, my dad and mom got a suit. I think. Yeah. Mom and mom got a really nice dress. And a really nice purse that I want to steal from her yeah. one day. <laughs> but it was a way of like saying, "Hey, this is the start of a relationship." Uh huh. So that was really neat for my in-laws to practice that and to feel appreciated. Yeah. And it involves everybody. Mm-hmm. It involves from the so it starts with the youngest uncle, and it goes to the oldest uncle. So literally, it's like playing telephone. <laughs> because the youngest uncles are the ones that talk to the other uncles and then they have to pass it on to the other uncles and it just goes up the chain. <laughs> so this is what we've done with my family here because we have uncles and aunts that are here, their kids. We've literally passed down that culture at every single wedding. At the end of the wedding, you know, two years later, we can all say we played a part in handing off maybe the husband or the wife oh, into yeah. marriage. And that's the beauty of it. Of, of a community because a lot of times in American weddings it's just the two that plan it and that's it yeah so you don't really feel connected to the wedding or the marriage itself but in our culture it's like everybody needs to get involved mm-hmm. so when you're partying you're like man I'm partying hard because I helped out this way uh-huh. <laughs> in, in, in 
the families gathering together. And it also adds a measure of accountability as well, because, you know, if Pi and I were to have some irreconcilable difference and say, okay, we've just decided this isn't going to work. We don't want to stay together anymore. We have to get all those people back together to, yeah. <laughs> to, to talk out the differences and to be like, listen, Pi and I are not going to stay married. That means all the uncles and aunties are, are aware of this yeah. now. And so they're going to be like, well, why can't you make it work? And so, and then they'll discuss amongst themselves how to, you know, what to do about us. And so it, it's added an, a good measure of accountability because we know, you know, we got married in community. And if we ever decided that this doesn't work, we'd have to do that in community too, which it, you know, when you have a relationship in community, that relationship is, as long as it's a healthy community, it's going to be, you know, it's going to thrive and be more successful because, you know, we can't thrive on our own. We all need support. Right. And that's something I really love about, you know, Pi's culture. His his youngest uncle is probably the uncle that I'm the closest with, which is actually by design. They do usually design for the youngest aunt and uncle to be almost like the mother and father figure to the in-laws and then to the, to the younger kids because it would be highly inappropriate if Pi was doing something and I went to I complained about it to his mom and dad, Sure, but I can talk to his uncle if, and he will tell me, he'll be like, Hey, how's pie doing? Is he doing this, this, and this? He's called what? your parents multiple times. He, yeah. He calls my parents too, to check in on how pie <laughs> is doing as a son-in-law, which is funny. Cause he's one time he texted me. He was like, I have a multiple choice quiz to send to your parents about pie's family. <laughs> and I said, I screenshot it and sent it to my mom. She said, Are, is he serious? I'm like, no, but he is probably going to call you. <laughs> and so my parents were like, we just want to see them more often. And so he calls us and says, Hey, you guys need to go visit your parents more often. <laughs> when I decided to ask for yeah. Christina's hand in marriage, I went to go to her dad and I was like, dad, this is the American thing. I got to do it myself. You know, I got to be a man to show him that I, I can do it. And my dad's like, nope, you're not going by yourself. And, uh, you know, I'm 25 at the time. And usually if you're you know, 25 year, years old in American culture, you can say, I don't have to listen to you. I'm an adult now. But that doesn't happen in African culture or even Black American culture. <laughs> There's no, yeah, as long as your parents are alive, they're your parents. Yeah. So my dad told me that I didn't want to do it. But our culture, it's our valley that we bring my youngest uncle along. So I brought him along and I talked to my future dad-in-law about why I wanted to marry her. And my uncle was there and he said, hey, I'm I'm here as a representative for her family because it's easy for Pi to say all these things by himself without accountability. But I'm here as a witness to share with you that we're going to take care of your daughter, that if Pi messes up, we're going to deal with him. <laughs> um, but he was there as an extension. And my dad-in-law to this day talks about how he appreciated that. My my dad even did that for my brother when my brother went to go Aww. ask for his wife, dad's hand in yeah. marriage. My dad went and did something similar to what yeah. your uncle did. Yeah. So I'm so glad. I mean, a lot of us, you know, after the fact, like, man, I'm so glad we did that. But that's something that really started our engagement season off on the right foot. Yeah. That's so cool. I wish we did that. I wish that was the thing here, too. That's really cool. I feel like that's how it's supposed to be as you describe it. So that's really neat. Okay, so now it's been four years, just over four years since your wedding day. You know, you mentioned like one thing that was hard early on was not having 
mentors or people who, you know, a couple that looked like you guys or was dealing with kind of the same obstacles that you guys were dealing with in an intercultural relationship. Looking back now, like, what would you say are some of the most important things you've learned? And I know that's kind of a vague question and there's probably so much, but maybe if each of you had like one key thing that sticks out to you or however you want to answer that just what do you think are some of the big lessons you've learned that you are passionate about sharing with others I think for me one thing I value about my culture and relationships is that and this is not just Zimbabwean culture you'll see it in in a lot of South American cultures as well it's just the pace of life and the pace of relationships I think in American culture or even Western culture, we speed through relationships, we speed through life too quickly, and we miss out on the beautiful moments. Mm -hmm. We celebrate speed as efficiency, right? I mean, just think of the concept of like the wedding day, people like celebrate that it was really quick, right? (laughs) Or even church. If you go to church, you're like, man, that was a really quick sermon. You know, people like going through things really quickly and moving on uh-huh. i think for for us is like learning to to walk at a, at a at a pace that really enjoys life and each other and you're able to learn from those moments and able to truly value because what i'm realizing that a true healthy family and true healthy relationships take time yeah. it takes lots of effort it takes lots of failure it takes lots of listening if we're going to have a relationship that's going to to last just beyond not just our lifetime, but like with our kids and our grandkids. What am I doing now with my kids, with my kid and my, my wife? That's going to be intentional. That's going to help them. So that's a big thing I've really learned from my dad is because we would sit down as, as families, as a family almost every night to talk about our day, to talk about our uh-huh. culture and our values. Like I've had so many teaching moments. I wish my dad had like a podcast with like wisdom <laughs> sayings because literally like, all we did every night was talk about like why our culture is important through different scenarios uh-huh. from dating to mm-hmm. money to i mean anything in life yeah and if you hear a little baby in the background it's because it's <laughs> it's the wake window for our, our little guy we apologize for that but that's the beauty of yeah. life but i'll let christina go and then i'll go see if i can i can be an awesome dad <laughs> perfect how about you christina I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway that I would give to new couples or whether interracial or not is to ask questions. And that works for if you're trying to learn more about someone if, or even if you're trying to understand the situation. And there's been so many times where I have just assumed and Pi hates when I do this. I'll, I'll be like, hey, are you feeling, I assume, you know, it sounds like you're feeling this way. He's like, no, that's not, you, you just ask me how I'm feeling about something or ask me about my thoughts on something. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Cause I just like to, I like to be really um, perceptive and intuitive, but yeah, I think asking questions is really, is the, is a good key for relationships, whether they're interracial, intercultural, or even, you know, monocultural. Yeah. Because with questions you show that you care and that, you know, everybody wants to feel seen and feel heard uh-huh. and thoughtful questions make people feel seen and heard. Yeah, that's just good relationship advice in general. But yeah, totally makes sense.
What a fun couple and what a sweet little baby they have. If you're listening to this in real time, I'm probably dealing with a lot of those newborn noises myself and enjoying every minute of it. This episode was pre-recorded before having my baby, and so if you want to check in on how I'm doing, make sure you visit me on Instagram because that's where you can find me these days. But I loved hearing about Christina and Pi's journey together and how both they and their families came together. It's such a beautiful picture of what I think marriage should really look like. Next week, we're diving in even more. We're talking about how becoming parents has influenced Pi and Christina's celebration of an intercultural and interracial relationship even more. We're also talking about some of the hardships that the past year has brought, particularly when it comes to racism in America and how that's affected them. I really appreciated learning from them on this. And again, no matter if you're in a dating relationship or an intercultural relationship or whatever kind of relationship you're in, you will too. They give plenty of plain old good relationship advice here, not just romantic relationships, but even friendships. So make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss out. Subscribing is easy and free to do. You simply click the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening on. See, like I said, super easy. That way you'll know whenever a new episode is out, like with Pi and Christina next week. Don't forget about leaving a rating and a review while you do that too and sharing the show with friends. Now, it's even better if you can share online. I'd love to hear that you listened and hear what you thought of the episode. So post that you're listening and tag me. And while you're at it, tag Pi and Christina too. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. The links to connect with me and with Christina and Pi are all in the show notes, including our social media handles if you do want to tag us. And you can find the link to shop all of Paper Culture's goodies there too. So don't forget about that. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. And until next week, let's remember to focus on the things that bring us together instead of the things that divide us, to celebrate our differences that make this world a much more beautiful place, and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out. Peace out.